Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I'm so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So friends, I'm so excited about today's episode because this conversation could not be more important. And also this is so overdue. I cannot believe we haven't talked about this here on Girls' Night yet. I'm so sorry about that. But here we are and I just, oh, this episode's so good. I can't wait for you to hear it. So today's episode is Self-Defense 101, simple strategies that every woman needs to know. Our guest for today's episode is my new friend, Kaylee Billerbeck. Kaylee is the CEO and founder of Everyday Armor. She's combined an incredible background in martial arts with a passion for keeping women safe. And in the last few years, she has traveled to over 40 states by herself, teaching self-defense classes at colleges and universities. Her goal is to redefine self-defense and to help young women navigate life feeling more safe, confident, and independent. I love that. So here are just a few of the things that Kaylee's teaching us. She's gonna talk to us about how to keep ourselves out of dangerous situations, how to be more aware of our surroundings, what we should be looking for. She's also gonna talk to us about what we should do if we do end up in a vulnerable or dangerous situation, how to physically defend ourselves. I love that Kaylee in this episode talks about how we can keep ourselves safe, but she's also really careful to talk about how we can do that while not living in a constant state of fear. And I love that. You guys, this episode is so good and so practical, and I learned so much. I cannot wait for you to hear from her. So you ready? Let's dive in. All right, friends, I am so excited for who you get to meet today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Kaylee Billerbeck. Kaylee, thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. I'm super excited to be here and and talk about these things. They're so important. They're so important. Um, okay, so for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself? Yes. So my name is Kaylee, as you mentioned, and I own a company called Everyday Armor. So, you know, what we basically, the, the majority of what we do is traveling to different universities and teaching more, you know, sorority women, student bodies, just about safety in more of a realistic fashion that's for everyday women who maybe haven't had a ton of experience and just making sure that it's accessible to them as well. So that's kind of, you know, a little bit about what we do. Um, Fun fact about me, when I was end of my junior year in college, I actually went and I was a nanny in Cabo for a summer and it was like the coolest experience ever. Oh my God. How did this happen? So a girl in my sorority, she'd actually, she knew them. I think she had actually been an au pair for them. And she posted it on like our Facebook sorority page. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I signed myself up. And originally, I didn't really realize that the mom was actually from Austria. So they didn't just speak Spanish and English. They also spoke German a lot in the household, which was really crazy to navigate, but so cool. That is so cool. So did they like, do they live in Cabo full time? Like, or are they, do they live in the US and they were just traveling to, to Mexico for the summer? Yeah, so they, so I, I believe the mom was on like a study abroad trip in Mexico City where she met the dad. And then they lived there up until I want to say like an, 
a year past when I had left. So I think for like the, the last three years, they've been, or maybe four, uh, they've been in Austria. So they moved from Cabo to Austria full time. That is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. What a cool summer job. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so I feel like you're, I, I, like I'm setting you up for another fun fact here, mm-hmm. but I want to hear about your background because you, I mean, you own a company where you teach women how to be safe, mm-hmm. but you have a background in all kinds of, what's the like overarching, like does martial arts cover all of them or what's the like correct umbrella term? Yes. Yeah. So martial arts would be like just kind of all of it. Now my okay. instructor, he we, he started a studio doing like traditional Taekwondo. And I was actually one of, my sister and I were the first, I think there was another kid as well. We were like the first three people to ever get our black belts under him. And then he ended up like morphing the studio into something kind of of his own where like our sparring style integrated Taekwondo, Muay Thai and kickboxing. And then he also taught Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And then we also, you know, I became an instructor. So we also taught like just, you know, basic self-defense escapes, um, weapons disarms. We worked with weapons, just all that kind of stuff. So it was it was a really cool experience. And I was morbidly embarrassed when my parents first signed me up for it. And then I started to really fall in love with it. How, so how old were you when you started? And like, how, yeah, how, how old were you when you started? I believe it was, I was in third grade. So I, I'm like, how old was I in third grade? But yeah, my, my parents were like, eight or something. We, yeah, and it was like some deal that um, the owner of the studio, my instructor, he made like a deal with my mom's boss that like basically we got free training in exchange for my instructor getting like free meals or something. So it was a really cool thing that was provided to my sister and I. And while I didn't realize it in third grade, I now looking back, I'm like, I'm so grateful for that training. That is so cool. That is so cool. Well, okay. So you took that and you've created Everyday Armor. How did that um, shift? How did it How did it go from being something that you were like, I'm personally interested in this to I need to teach other people about this? Yeah. So I... Well, back when I was in college, you know, there were some, some moments because we also taught just kind of like different like community, responsibility, self-control, courage, you know, all those types of things were really integrated into our curriculum as well. So, you know, there were so many different tools and tactics and spatial awareness that, you know, I didn't even totally realize I had until I got into college and started seeing just, you know, different situations and how people would respond. And and there was no self-defense training. And I'm like, you know, being in a sorority, that's your perfect opportunity to educate women on these things. And even now, so many sororities have such little budgets for things like a self-defense course. And to me, just kind of seeing that firsthand, it was like, hmm, but like something needs to change here. And then on top of that, I had actually, when I lived um, in Mexico for the summer, my final weekend there, I had gotten drunk one weekend. I passed out on a beach and like had a bunch of my things stolen. And in that moment, I was like, okay, that was like the most frightening moment I've ever been involved in. But there was no point throughout that entire situation where having those physical skills came to actually help me. So it really was like, okay, you know, this isn't being offered self-defense in general. It's not being offered in a realistic way, really looking at what's actually going on. I'm irritated because I see stuff on social media that blows certain things like trafficking in kind of 
out of proportion and in the wrong direction and doesn't properly educate people, but more so fear mongers. And then, you know, with this experience, it was like, what, what did I not have in that situation? How could I have helped myself there? Because it wasn't the physical stuff. So that's kind of, you know, that entire chain of events really came together and was like, what kind of curriculum do we need to have? How do we make it accessible to as many young women as possible? I love this. Thank you. When I got to college is when I started really thinking about safety. And I think as women, we have to think about it a lot and we're taught to think about it a lot, but maybe not in totally the right ways. I think that um, when I was in college was the first time that I found myself being scared more often because I'd be by myself and I'd be by myself at night or I'd be walking around. Like you just have to get home from the library, you know, and so you're walking around at night. Um, And I know lots of people that things have happened to. And so I found myself being really scared for for quite a while. And finally, my mom suggested that I take a self-defense course. And I did. And it was a really... um, It was a really empowering experience. It was a lot of like safety tips. So like how to... You know, what you can do to keep yourself out of positions where, you know... Like what, what, what you can do before you even enter a dangerous situation to keep yourself out of one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was like really physical. Like I got to fight some guy and it was just really wild and, but really, really empowering. And um, I haven't done one in a while. And so I'm like out of date. And I just know that this is just so important. And so I'm sitting here hearing you talk about sporty girls and hearing you talk about women in college and knowing how important this was to me back then. And also knowing how important it is for us today to just know how to take care of ourselves in every way possible. Yeah. And on on a college campus, you know, to your point, like you're, you're in so many situations where you're walking across campus at night and maybe you're walking from the library at two o'clock in the morning. And yeah, you know, maybe that's like not safe, but those are the situations you're in. And also Ubering alone, lifting alone, going on dating apps, like all those things that are just kind of part of the human experience and aren't always the most avoidable kinds of things. You know, I guess with what we do, we just didn't want to sit here and be like, you always have to use the buddy system. You can't do things alone. Like I've traveled to over 40 different states by myself teaching these classes. And, you know, I've never once had a situation where I like really felt unsafe. And I just think, telling women that they can't do all these things or that they can't do stuff alone. It's like, well, I mean, it just takes away from our experience and being able to do the things we want to do that we should be able to do. So, you know, we were kind of like, okay, what's that gray area? You know, like, yes, you shouldn't accept a drink from someone you don't know super well, but, you know, if you're going to, how do you still stay safe? Because, you know, especially when there's drinking involved in those kinds of situations, things might happen. So how do we constantly address these things that aren't just safety tips that are black and white. Mm-hmm. And like, how do we protect ourselves without like missing out on life or, yeah. you know, living in fear in the process? Totally. So I, before we talk about like how to stay safe, I want to know, and I'm sure you have some statistics on this. Like some people will say, like, just live your life. Don't worry about it. You know, like nothing's going to happen. It's going to be Okay. And err on this on like that side. Other people will say, you know, there are threats around every corner. Like you're never safe, and make it sound like you know you shouldn't leave your house. What are the actual statistics? Like how how much danger are we in? Just as women will say in the United States, because most of our, our listeners live here. 
Yeah. So I kind of want to address, you know, like the bulk of situations people are typically freaked out about or, you know, ones that most women are, or not most women, but women are most likely to encounter. So that would be, you know, stalking, trafficking, domestic abuse, sexual assault, those things we fear or we're hearing about a lot or, you know, with domestic abuse and sexual assault, the things that we are likely to, most likely to encounter. So, you know, with those, I don't have the exact statistics. I don't want to give like wrong ones, but I can tell you that the majority of the time with those situations, we tend to know our perpetrators to some extent. So, you know, what we really wanted to look at is, okay, if that's the reality of these situations, there's a whole section of self-defense we're not even learning, you know, and that's why we teach mental, situational, and physical self-defense in conjunction with each other, because a lot of these situations are where we're, you know, in a relationship with somebody and they maybe are displaying more abusive patterns or maybe, you know, they start to stalk us or it's a neighbor, you know? So what we want to empower women with is here's the tools to be able to sense if something's maybe a little off. Like, and if I do, how do I confront those situations? How could I possibly de-escalate them? Or what are tactics? You know, if let's say there is a stranger that's trying to groom you or something, how do I identify those tactics that they might be using and respond in those situations? So, you know, especially with trafficking, I know that there are so many stories out there, like people marking your car or the crying baby noises. And if you actually look at the US hotline for human trafficking, I believe it was 2015 to 2001, there was never a single report of like crying babies or people marking cars to, to traffic people. So a lot of these things we hear are just, you know, they travel through the grapevine and then we're all freaked out about these things that aren't really the situations we should even necessarily be most freaked out about, you know? Okay. I'm like, okay, I don't even know. I'm like marking cars and and crying babies. I'm like, I don't even know these, but uh, I'm sure, sure that a lot of women have. And we don't need to even like perpetuate them. Yes. Um, but that's really good to know that like, you know, a lot of the things that people are that we might have our worry in the wrong spots. Mm-hmm. And so, so where you said it's most likely that if something happens to us, it's going to be someone we know. So that, so like what situations are the ones that we actually need to be, that we need to put more of a percentage of our worry towards? So really, you know, the way that we approach it and I, with self-defense, like so much of it boils down to confidence and self-esteem. So many of us pick up on these things, like red flags, whether it's a new friend you meet, a new relationship, or just a situation in general. But i think that women are really socialized to second guess ourselves and to you know say what maybe i'm overreacting or i don't want to be rude i don't want people to think xyz about me so you know we might have that gut instinct it's just learning to really take action with it and not questioning ourselves and that's really one of the biggest things we encourage is okay when you sense that something's off right whether it's a broken social norm in your environment whether it's you know a friend that's just things aren't adding up to you like don't be afraid to put your foot down and and you know act in suit of those those red flags that we start to feel and i mean in reality those are the situations where you know whether it's a random person that you meet that just something feels off about it or a stranger that approaches you in public and is trying to like make a friendship with you or you're on vacation and you know a new group of people are trying to kind of isolate you a little bit it's just all of those things that tend to feel off that we have that red flag about something doesn't feel right and then you know really not questioning that that gut instinct, if that makes sense. So 
I think that it's when I think of like being afraid, I think that like my big fear has always been like, uh, and like this sounds silly, but like someone I don't know randomly like jumping out of the bushes and like attacking me. Mm-hmm. And like that happens so fast, <laughs> you yeah. know, like that would be so, that would be so surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. But what you're saying is like, it would be a slower something. It would be something that would happen a little bit more gradually. And so you have more opportunities to like, the water's going to get warm before it gets hot, before it burns you. It's not just going to like instantly burn you. So you have the ability to get out while it's still warm. Is that kind of... Okay. Yeah. So like one situation, you know, let's actually, there was a girl um, that was in one of the classes I taught like last spring and she was telling us this story and she was explaining how she was walking out of H&M. These three women approached her. They were complimenting her and they were like asking her personal questions. And, you know, she was talking with the women and, you know, inherently we don't feel as threatened by women, right? So then all of a sudden they were, they were like, oh my gosh, we have an organization that's for college women because they discussed that she went to University of Delaware. And they were like, you know, we'd love to give you a little bit more information about it. So they're showing her stuff on their phone. And then after that, they were like, you know what? We know that the mall is closing down. We'd love to give you some pamphlets though for you to pass out to your sorority sisters if you want to just follow us to our car, right? So now if you went in that situation from hey, you know, I like your eyes to want to follow me to the parking lot by yourself. You know, everything, like every red flag's going off. But people, like one of the tactics they might use is, hey, you know what? I like your eyes. Let me get the foot in the door. And then I'm going to create this organic conversation that, you know, feels natural. I don't feel threatened by it. And then they're leading up to this larger ask to get you to an isolated point. So, you know, foot in the door is one of those tactics that they'll use. It's a gradual thing. And one of the tips we always tell women is when people approach you in public, just as a blanket statement, use non-negotiable emergency excuses to get out of those situations. Like just, it's not worth it to sit and talk to them. You just never know. It's just sometimes better to keep yourself safe in those situations. So, you know, I'm so sorry. I forgot that I have a, a Zoom interview that I have to get to in 20 minutes. You know, I, it's something has to happen now. It's an emergency. It's non-negotiable. We can't sit and barter. You know, I have to go right now. So that's just kind of, you know, one example of how sometimes, and that's even more of like a stranger approaching you, right? And it, it, But they do kind mm-hmm. of happen a little bit more gradual. How, like, it instantly, my doubts are like, ah, like I'm feeling so rude. Like mm-hmm. how, I, I, like I'm being so rude. I don't want to be, <laughs> we were walking down the street. We were with, uh, I had my twins and my husband was with me and we're walking on like a super busy street here in Nashville. And someone asked me, do you have, so do you have time to talk about something? And I don't know, they were like, you know, getting signatures for something like that. And I didn't, I didn't hear what she, what she said. I thought that she said, do you, I don't know what I thought she said, but I said like, no, thank you. And I just like kept walking. And I, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't want to stop. Like I have twin toddlers with me. We're going somewhere. Like they're hungry. We're all like, we all need to go. But I ended up accidentally being pretty rude because of the, I just misheard the question. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I ended up being like, it was like, do you care about small children? No, thank you. Or so, you know, it was like something like that. I didn't didn't mean to answer like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then, like, I'm like, I don't, I don't know these people. Like, this is totally not a time for me to stop and talk, but I don't want to be rude. And so how do we get over that? So we talk about this actually with mental self-defense, like confrontation, right? As women, we feel so uncomfortable by it. 
And some of the things that we kind of touch on are number one, like when, and I mean, in that situation, it's a little bit different, but you know, especially if it's like somebody, you know, and you're not confronting something, right? We tend to sit in on those things and we vent about them and we're frustrated by them. And you know, it starts to consume you. And in reality, like when you don't confront things or put distance with people, set boundaries, you're the only one being affected by it, you know? And, and in our classes, we'll do, you know, this little kind of activity where we'll have everybody close their eyes and say, hey, raise your hand if you've ever met somebody in your life that's, you know, not somebody that you knew very well, but somebody that you just didn't like. Every single hand goes up, right? We encounter people on a day-to-day basis. You're like, that's just not my kind of person. And I think that, you know, as women, the more comfortable we get with that fact that people are just not going to like you. And it, it may not even be personal. They just aren't going to like you, you know, and really try to make yourself comfortable with that building self-esteem. It becomes a lot easier in those moments to, to have the confrontation, whether it's just somebody on, you know, the street or whether it's somebody that you know, you have to you're the only one that knows what's going through your own head. Like you have to have those confrontations and put yourself first. And especially when it has to do with your safety. So that's kind of like the number one thing we touch on. The number two thing is really addressing these things when you're going to have confrontation and being very firm about it. Now, of course, that can be very uncomfortable. So the way that we talk about to make that more comfortable are to come up with those non-negotiable emergency excuses. So, you know, in your situation, I'm so sorry, we have to get to a birthday lunch that we're headed to, I I don't have time to talk, you know, and just having those things that it has to happen now. It's non-negotiable. I have to do this thing. And being able to use those ads, those situations come up just so it doesn't feel so uncomfortable to set those boundaries sometimes. To say like, you have, you have a, you have an excuse. You have something that like, I have to get to this thing. Mm -hmm. Not like, I don't want to talk to you. Yes. And you know, of course, we empower women to have those confrontations up front. Like it's not wrong to communicate things explicitly, but more so when it's like so crippling and uncomfortable to have a confrontation to the point that you wouldn't have it, that's where we encourage that. Like, you know, one example we give is if, you know, somebody gives you a drink, right? And you don't know this person super well, your blanket safety statement there is don't drink the drink, right? You just don't know what's in it. it there could be something, it's not worth it. But there, you know, there's a lot of situations I've even been in where you're going to drink it, right? It's a free drink, whatever it is, or maybe it's even the loose friend of a friend. So in those moments, you know, you want to have them have the first sip. Now, if asking them to have the first sip is that situation where you're just so physically uncomfortable by it that you wouldn't do it, one way, you know, as an example we use is, you know, if it's a margarita, right? Smell it and just tell them, oh my gosh, this smells so strong. I've had the worst experiences with tequila. Will you please try it to make sure that it's not too strong or there's not too much tequila in it? And if they won't have it, right? You know what? I just, I don't want to get sick. I'm going to go get a new drink to make sure that it's not too strong. So it's just finding those ways to still set those boundaries that help you feel more safe, but, you know, allow us to feel comfortable in those situations too. Okay. I totally didn't know that. So if someone, oh my gosh, like how did I survive college? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. So if someone offers you a drink, I mean, yeah, the the blanket thing would be don't take a drink from someone. I guess you don't know, but like we're talking about how more often than not, it might be someone you do know. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the, the fact that you know them is not necessarily like does not mean there's some, there's not something in your drink. So that's what you want to do is you want to have them try it first. Yes. And I mean, this could be, right, when we say you, you're you going to know the person, it doesn't necessarily mean that like, 
it's going to be your best friend, right? There's different categories. So you have friends, you have family, acquaintances, you know, even just somebody that maybe you met on a dating app, or maybe you just, you've met a couple times, friend of a friend, and you're going to go on a date with this person. Even in that situation, you know, you don't want to leave your drink unattended. If you're going to go to the bathroom, either just chug it or get a new one, right? So it's just finding those ways to, that really, you know, the goal of it isn't to make women feel more anxious. It's just knowing those little tricks that help you ultimately feel more comfortable and safe in the situation. So you're not even second guessing, oh my gosh, what do I do if this person puts something in my drink? Because you already have these these habits kind of instilled in your day-to-day life. So what are more of those? Like, what are some things, because I want to ask, or I want to talk about like what to do if we are in, if we find ourselves in a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. But like, what are some other just like rules of thumb that can honestly like rule out a lot of dangerous situations that we might find ourselves in. Yeah, and I love that question because that was, you know, another thing, like when I look at my my Mexico experience, there was, like I was so overworked by my host family and they were great, but I just, I was working so many hours and I didn't communicate that. And that weekend when I went out, like I had a weird instinct that it was just, not the right situation. The friend had gone out, which just wasn't always that, you know, that friend that's gonna help you at the end of the night and make sure you're both getting somewhere safe. So, you know, but I went against that gut instinct because I, I hadn't addressed with my host family, you know, confronting that situation. Hey, I'm, I'm overworked. You know, and the first time that it happens, instead I built up resentment. I built up resentment. And then, you know, I go out and I'm frustrated. I'm drinking more, which, you know, really kind of all those things compiled into the situation where now I'm on a beach, passed out, intoxicated and having somebody steal all my belongings. So, you know, there are so many things that we can do. Yes, to, to I guess, in essence, prevent these things, but also to just help ourselves feel a lot more confident and safe in these situations. And, you know, I know you were talking about just like, if you're walking by yourself, you know, fearing that somebody could come up and grab you. So in that situation, right, how do we feel more safe in those environments, which is where we use situational self-defense. So, you know, there's a couple different things that we touch on. We use um, an acronym to kind of point out five different things that you want to just at all times be aware of. And that acronym is CARVE, like you're trying to, you know, carve your way out of a bad scenario. So we have confidence, alertness and awareness, resourcefulness, visibility, and environment. Now, when it comes to situational self-defense, right, we're looking at a lot of times crimes of opportunity. And a lot of the time, like, we don't think about the fact that small little barriers in these moments are huge hurdles to people. Like if you have even just fake cameras on your house or cameras in general or motion censored lights, it makes it three times less likely you're going to be burglarized. And I mean, again, that's just having the, the presence of a camera, you know? So it's just those little tiny barriers. And also most bur- burglaries happen in the middle of the day, but we fear the nighttime, you know? But With that being said, you know, some of those small barriers, the first one is confidence. It's, you know, it sounds so simple, but it's the first thing people see and perceive about you. And there was actually this study done where they looked at, they had violent criminals rate people on a scale of one to 10. One being they weren't as likely to try and attack them, 10 being they were more a lot more likely. Now they're just watching people walk. And what they found from the study was that people who had longer strides, who walked with a purpose, and who had their heads up looking at people were a lot, were rated a lot lower on that scale. So, you know, a lot of times we're told not to look at people. You might provoke them, you might upset them. When in reality, 
having your head up and looking at people and limiting distractions and looking confident is one of the most important things you can do for yourself. And showing people, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of you. You don't have the element of surprise on your side, all those kinds of things. So first and foremost, confidence. You know, and the next we talk about is alertness and awareness. And you don't have to constantly, you know, have your head on a swivel to where you're so anxious, but just really, again, limiting distractions to what's reasonable. If you have a ton of stuff you're carrying in your hands, that's where your focus is. You know, not dropping those things. You're not as tuned into what's happening around me. Is there a potential threat? And so much of the time, you know, again, you have that gut instinct that something's off here, but we second guess, do I respond to it or not? So, you know, just being as aware as possible, taking action. And then we have resourcefulness, just knowing different things about your environment, visibility, really being making sure that, you know, maybe if I'm going to go out, I'm going to want to wear all black. You don't have to always wear bright colors, but, you know, could I create more space around me? The more space I have, the more time I have to see and respond to things. And the last one's environment. So what are the norms for my environment? How can I blend in? How can I identify if something's off? What are the things I need to know about the environment that I'm in? So that's kind of like really brief overview of kind of all those things we encourage people to think about. Now, you're not going to always be able to meet all of those, but it's really, if I can't, like I like to run it in the dark with noise canceling headphones. So if I'm going to do that, how can I compensate for those pieces of the CARB acronym that are not being met? So that's kind of a lot of information there about that. But yeah, there's just, there's so many little things that we can do to help us feel more safe in these situations. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. 
And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done, and that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What are some things like, one of the things that I, that people have talked about, and I think you have, I think you have something to say on this. People talk about like, if you're walking to, you know, walking late at night by yourself, like having your keys in your, like kind of in your fist mm-hmm. um, or uh, like having like pepper spray or something like that. Are those like helpful, like helpful sort of protective measures or like, is that the kind of thing we should be thinking about or is there something different? Yeah. So there's, I guess I don't have like a yes, it's helpful or no, it's not helpful. I have more of a a gray area response there. So with, you know, one thing I hear a lot is people picking up their phone and calling somebody. And most of the time, the intent there is to have somebody else who's listening to make us feel a little bit more safe, like we're not alone. When in reality, we're distracted, right? If you're talking to somebody, your full attention is not on your environment. And the more that we start tuning in and and listening and watching, the more you start to feel in control of what's happening around you. And if you have a lot of space, right, then you can sense and respond to those things with more time. So, you know, the being on the what phone... What do you mean a lot of space? Like, how do we, what are some, how do we like 
know if we have a lot of space. What are you talking about there? Yeah, great question. So let's say, you know, you're walking at nighttime. Maybe you're going for a walk and you're walking on the sidewalk. Now, you know, I'm looking outside right now and I like we have cars parked along the sidewalk. There's houses right there. There's large objects. I don't ever do that. Like I will get in the middle of the street because I have more exposure. So it limits the odds that, you know, if somebody's looking to commit a crime of opportunity, you're extremely exposed. Somebody could see what's happening. More importantly though, I feel like I'm in a lot more control because I have more space. So, you know, if there is some kind of threat, I can see that and do something about it with a lot more time. Because if I'm on that sidewalk, something happens, I see something, most of the time they, they, you know, if they're in one of the cars and they pop out, you know, I have very little time to respond to that. So just kind of always thinking about like, how can I optimize the amount of space that I have around me? Got it. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, I totally interrupted you. Going back. Yes. So with being on our phones, right? You know, if you feel really unsafe, like call somebody and put it in your pocket, have it hanging by your side. Just, we always encourage to not be actively engaged in that phone call. And, you know, even then, like if something does happen and you're on the phone, more often than not, you're probably going to drop your phone. And if they're calling for help, they're probably calling for help to the point that you were, you know, had something happen. And the number one thing you want to avoid is ever going to a secondary location with some kind of perpetrator or attacker. So, you know, we'd much rather you see that coming and be able to respond to it, get somewhere that's safe, you know, be able to run to safety and then call for help once that happens. So that's kind of like, first thing, really encourage against. The second thing to your point with the key between your fingers, I hear women doing this all across the US and it is like one of my least favorite things I hear. And I'll explain why. Number one, you know, when you're holding a key, it's really not sticking out that far. And then when you go to use it, you know, if you don't know how to properly execute a punch, it's also probably not going to be super effective, right? And then on top of that, now you're super close to that person. And maybe you've even made skin to skin contact with them, which puts you in a prime position for them to then further grab onto you or constrain you or something. And, you know, we just don't want that to happen. So when it comes to tactical items to carry, the number one thing I can say is you have to know the item that you are carrying. Like treat it like a firearm. If you don't have experience with it, when you're in fight or flight, it's going to be very hard to call on, okay, how do I pull out my pepper spray? How do I use it? And, you know, there's a, it's actually, there's very high rates of misuse with pepper spray because you're aiming at a very small area on somebody. Like if you hit their throat, it's not super effective, right? You're going for their eyes. And in, on an attacker, right? The first thing they're looking at is, am I bigger than this person? So there's a very high chance they could also be taller than you. So now you're aiming up at a perpetrator in a fight or flight situation. You know, it also, pepper spray doesn't work on everybody. It also expires. So have I made sure that I'm exchanging my pepper spray appropriately? And have I actually practiced using it? I had a girl at a class University of Florida. She, her dad made her pull out her pepper spray and test it and it misfired and shot back at her. So, you know, not a common thing that's probably going to happen, but have I tested it? And, you know, just all those kinds of things. Is it raining? Is it windy? You know, you have to think about those things and have experience, whether it's a taser, pepper spray, stun gun, you know, you're actually carrying a gun, you know, all those kinds of things, a pocket knife. So that's just kind of like blanket statement with that. One thing we do encourage though, especially for women who are maybe walking into work or walking across the college campus, you know, carry a metal water bottle. Like you don't know how, you don't have to know how to swing it. And if you swing it at the side of somebody's head, it's going to cause some damage. It puts distance between you and that person. So, you know, thinking about 
Do I have experience with this item? What else could I carry? What's going to put distance between us? And what could I do in that situation? That is, um, I would have, like, I've, I, I, let's see. I carried pepper spray for a little bit, but then I think I brought it to the airport and so I had to throw it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I've never carried it since. But like, never once have I practiced using it. I have absolutely, I don't know how the thing works. Like, not mm-hmm. even a clue. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I like, I feel like the chances of me hurting myself are so much higher with something else. Mm-hmm. But I really like that metal water bottle thing because I'm like, I have carried like a, you know, water bottle my whole life. Like I could totally like swing that yeah. thing around. And like that, that makes sense that you need to know. I just, honestly, I could totally see myself shooting myself in the face with, with pepper spray, especially if you're in a fight or flight moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's just really, that's just really wise. Yeah. And you know, it's, and it's not just like people always say, so if I just shouldn't carry pepper spray, like what should I carry? And like, I'm not saying don't carry it, but you know, take a class on it. Make sure you know how to use it. Make sure you're comfortable with it. So, you know, it doesn't get used against you or so it doesn't become ineffective in that situation or you're fumbling with it. And that was time that you could have used to get away from that person, you know? So just kind of thinking through like, what would I do in that situation? And that's really, you know, especially like we're talking about walking at night or walking through a parking garage, all those kinds of things. We really said like, think through your worst case scenario and then work your way back. Like, what would I do? You know, one thing we talk about like to that point is when you're getting gassed by yourself, you know, what's my worst case scenario? For me, it's somebody coming up with a weapon, trying to like, you know, get me to drive them somewhere, get in my car, get me to go somewhere. So I always make sure whether it's like late night, early morning, I'm parking towards an exit. I'm making sure that my three doors that I'm not using are locked just so I don't have to worry about it. Keeping an eye on what's happening around me. If I am in a rental car that's big and I can't see over the top of it, I'm probably sitting inside while I pump my gas. Now, worst case scenario, if I had to drive away from that pump, somebody did come up to me, I know that there is a release on the hose that releases the the hose of the, the pump that lets you drive away with the actual gas pump in your car if God forbid you needed to. So, you know, again, just like thinking through my worst case scenario, work your way back. Now I'm prepped for that situation. I did not know that. I think I thought that, I mean, I think it, like I would have tried to drive away, but I would have thought that it would have like broken off and sprayed gas everywhere or something like that. That makes sense. Yeah. And it actually, it, it shuts sort of off the release. gas too. So, I mean, there's probably going to be a little gas left in the hose, but it shuts off the gas so it doesn't keep, you know, draining out and at the gas station. That is, oh my gosh. Like everyone listening is like, Stephanie, how have you survived? <laughs> um, <laughs> What okay, are there any other things that we shouldn't like I know that you're more in a camp of listen, like live your life and you know, don't walk around afraid all the time. But like, are there like should we not be pumping gas by ourselves? Like, is that something that's like known to be dangerous or like parking garages or you know, like what are some things that it's like really avoid that? I mean If you're, let's say, going to go pump gas, like I've been on trips before where I've had to go pump my gas at like three o'clock in the morning before a flight. If you can avoid that situation, you could pump your gas, you know, the night before, do it. For me, there's certain situations where, you know, I'm driving from a hotel and it's an hour and a half away and I have to fill that gas tank or else I'm going to be charged a bunch extra. So, and you know, and and even then sometimes like I've been in uh, like downtown Memphis before where I'm like, you know what? I'd rather pay the extra money than to feel unsafe in that situation. So I think a lot of it's just kind of gauging like, where am I at? How do I feel about this? 
what kind of environment am I in? And truthfully, what's my gut instinct? Like I've had drives I've made through the night, haven't really thought twice about it, but I made a drive from Michigan to Tuscaloosa. And I was like, you know, I'll get there at like three o'clock in the morning. But that means that I'm kind of driving through the middle of nowhere in, in Alabama. And I just, I'd rather not take my chances. And I ended up stopping and paid for a night in Nashville, you know? So it's just really addressing like, frankly, like how am I going to avoid situations where I feel unsafe and that make me feel anxious because I don't, I don't want to live feeling like that. So if that means, you know, not doing certain things and that's your decision to make. I mean, obviously if you're again in a parking garage at two o'clock in the morning, chances of something happening are a little bit higher because it's darker. There's not as much people around, but again, you know, it's, you're very far and far and few in between situations where somebody's going to come up and try to cause harm, you know, at, in the middle of a parking garage. They do happen probably more likely at those times, but you you have to kind of figure out what what's avoidable and what's not. If I have a late shift and I'm walking out at midnight or I'm a bartender, I'm walking out at one o'clock in the morning, like I can't avoid it. So how do I just feel safe in that situation? Yeah, okay. So there aren't like hard and fast things as much, like places to avoid, times to avoid. It's more just like... If something about this is making you feel uncomfortable, or if you, if there's a way that you could make this more comfortable or more safe, mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, I'm just, I really try to stray away from giving like hard, you know, like black and white, don't do this, don't do that, avoid this time. And I think a lot of times when, when we do that, it discourages people from looking at ways to feel more safe in those situations. It's like, you know, if, I'm walking from the library, I'm a you know, college girl or whatever else. Maybe I'm in a grad program and I'm like going somewhere, I'm walking late at night. If I'm being told constantly that that's an unsafe thing to do, I may not also have the resources to go look up like, okay, but what do I do in that situation? So for us, it's more of you make the call, right? If there's things that you can avoid where you don't feel safe, don't do it. If there's situations you can't avoid that you're gonna be in that do put you in a position by yourself late at night, like, how can you still feel safe doing that? You know, so that's kind of, I guess, the way we approach it. We always say like safety isn't one size fits all. So, you know, how can we try and address those different situations and still feel safe? That's really awesome. Going back to the like person jumping out of the bushes mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, you're in sort of a altercation with someone. Where's the best place to run to? Like you've said, to get away, like, Mm -hmm. where do we go? Do we like run to a random person's door and knock on the door? Like where, where, what are some of the like kind of safe spots that we can identify? Yeah, I, the hard thing with running to people's houses, right? Is if that person is not home and you're sitting at that door, you're at a dead end and that person's probably coming up to you. So always trying to look for anywhere public, even if that's just a gas station, like somewhere where there's somebody else there that's, going to hopefully get that person to kind of get spooked and run away. And I know that there was actually, um, you know, this is kind of like walking it back a step, but there was a girl and I believe it was University of Alabama and she was walking through a parking lot around there and somebody had come up, they started chasing her and she was by her car and set off her car alarm and it totally spooked the guy and he ran away. You know, so it's just sometimes it's literally like those little tiny things like running towards somewhere that's more public that does spook them if they don't feel like they have the opportunity to to grab you without being seen. So always look for somewhere public. If you like see people outside of a house, totally run to it. If you see people inside of a house, run to it, you know, but 
just making sure we're not just running up to any house that may not have somebody there. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. You mentioned this briefly, and this is like uh, such a hard thing to think about. Um, but this is actually probably the thing I remember the most vividly from when I did the self-defense training I did. Um, you said not going to a second location with someone. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that real quick? Yeah. So when... And I know that sometimes I've said this and people are like, wait, what exactly is a secondary location? So what we're looking for is not like, you know, somebody attacks you and you are running to your own secondary location. It's more of, you know, if somebody is trying to get you to go somewhere with them at all costs, you want to exhaust every single option to never go with them. When you're going with them, right, you are 100% on their turf. You don't know where they're taking you. It's probably somewhere isolated. They probably have a a plan that's to some extent thought out, the odds of you escaping that situation are a lot more slim. So, you know, and we work with a lot of women who don't have a ton of physical training, but a big component is just having the confidence to do something, like respond, do something, fight back, you know, know the places to strike and and again, do everything at all costs to not go with that person because the, the survival rates are very, like they're slim to none. So your survival rates are so much higher mm-hmm. if you don't go to that secondary location. And like, if you're not going to survive, it's probably better to not survive there. Yeah, because again, like you you just unfortunately don't know what that person has planned. And, you know, sometimes it's it's unavoidable, right? You may not have the option to not go to that secondary location. So once I'm there, you know, how do I get resourceful? What can I try to do? Like, you know, even... What like what is this? What kind of role is this person wanting me to play? Can I play into that to try to increase the time that they're going to keep me around, or you know, try to prevent what might be in store? So it's just it's so hard because there's so many situations that are so diverse. It's hard to give like one blanket way to do these things, but it just really comes down to like what's around you. What can you use? How do you not go with that person? And if God forbid I am in that situation, like how do I be resourceful? What can I do? How can I speak to them, talk to them, try to try to keep myself alive? Yeah. Oh, I want to go back a little bit because a moment where like, say you're in, you're in a house with a guy you don't know very well mm-hmm. and it's kind of a professional situation. You're trying to be professional. You thought that everyone there was being professional and it turns out this person's not being professional. Mm-hmm. How do you, they're being a creep. How do you not escalate the situation? Like if there's some kind of situation you're in where there's people that are not behaving in ways that make you feel comfortable, like how do you get out without pouring fuel on the fire and putting yourself in a physical danger? Yes, yes. Yeah, so in those situations, you know, again, I think it just goes back to those confrontation methods. Like what kind of excuses could I have on hand that you know, make it like, I am so sorry that I have to leave this situation. This is an emergency I have to go attend to, whether it's like family emergency. And I know a lot of women have these kinds of things already thought through. And even, you know, if you're even coming into a situation, like going on a date with someone where you think maybe this could, there's a small probability the situation could turn uncomfortable. I want to give myself a way out from the get-go. So walking into, you know, maybe it's that room that you're walking into with professionals that are not behaving appropriately, or maybe it's going on a date and you don't totally know this person, prefacing Mm -hmm. it with, hey, I just want to let you know, like I've been expecting a call from so-and-so and maybe it's, you know, a family member. They 
had to go meet with somebody and I just, I might have to leave to go be with them. I just wanted to let you know now, you know, so you're prefacing that situation with, I might have to leave. And then if it does get uncomfortable, it's like, oh, you know what? This, this ended up happening. I'm so sorry. Like I have to go to try to just do those things, have those confrontations in ways that don't make you feel, especially if it's in like a, you know, some kind of professional setting where you don't want to escalate it or you're afraid of what they might say, what they might do to retaliate, you know, just having those outs that are like, it's so not my fault. I, I can't control this. Yeah. Okay. If you're, on the, if you're on a date for that example and you say, I might get a call, how do you like fudge that? Like, like how do you, like if, if somebody does call, well, like if you, you say, okay, so you tell someone, someone might call mm-hmm. and, but like, you can't like make your phone ring on commands. Like, do you just like pretend it happened on silent or like, are they going to be paying enough attention to be noticing the fact that your phone didn't ring or like, do you have yeah. to pretend to answer it? I feel like it depends on the level of like sneakiness you want to have. Cause I mean, you could easily have your phone just like face down and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I, I'm realizing I have to take this call. They don't ever see your phone. You step outside or, I mean, I know a lot of women that have these codes with their friends, you know, where they text a little code and the, the friend calls them with some kind of excuse that they've already thought about. And I actually, like I have friends that have done this multiple times on dates or I actually have a friend who's, um, she was like on a date with a guy that was like very, very uncomfortable. And she texted one of her guy friends and he ended up coming up and he was like, hey, you ready to go? And just like grabbed her, removed her from the situation, put down cash and they walked away. So, I mean, if there's a situation like that, that you just like need to get out of, like, you know, think about these things before. And I think that's really one of the biggest things we try to emphasize. Again, if you are in a situation where you could even potentially be unsafe, what am I going to do? You know, for me going out in, in Mexico, like if I'm going to go out with people that I know don't always have that habit of being the ride or die friends that are going to be there, you know, to the end of the night, what do I do in that event that that does happen? And they do leave me again. Like, what am I going to do to feel safe in that situation? Yeah. What about um, like taxis or Ubers or lifts? Mm-hmm. Like, cause that was my, that was my next thought is like, okay, so everyone leaves me at the end of the night. I mean, I like, I know how to get transportation home and I would know how to find, you know, my hotel or my house or whatever. But mm-hmm. like, um, are there any safety tips for I'm so I'm so grateful for Uber and Lyft because like honestly, how did we survive without it? Mm-hmm. But also you are getting into a car with with a stranger. So like how do we make that safer? Yeah. So I think that you know, there's so many tips about like verifying the car, of course, you know, never asking is this for insert your name, just always saying who is this for, right? All those little safety tips you can share your ride with people from the app. You can obviously have people on Find My Friends, all those kinds of things. I feel like a lot of people already kind of know about those. I think the other tips we don't always think about as much would be, you know, what's the address I'm I'm implementing? Is it my actual home address? Maybe I want to enter, you know, a house down the street and have them just kind of drop me off. I always, if I'm getting dropped off at home by myself, like I'll stand there and watch the person and make sure that they're driving away, you know, and they should know probably that I'm uncomfortable. I'm watching to make sure that they're going to drive away. They're probably going to drive away more quickly. And, you know, just kind of like having confidence in those situations. I think one of the biggest things though, that's kind of like a point of controversy with Lyft and Uber is where to sit. Where's the safest spot to sit? And this is like one of those things that for me is just like triggering. <laughs> like I have, I've talked to so many people and you know, cops, I, even people that I used to train with, like, where do you think is the safest spot in a Lyft or an Uber? 
I will tell you right now, I've heard every single spot listed. So there's, if you are Ubering or lifting by yourself, you have to think through again, you know, who am I? What is my worst case scenario? What, what am I willing to do if something goes wrong? Where am I actually lifting or Ubering? So, you know, for me, I always sit in the front seat. Now that may not be what's most comfortable for some people. The reason I do it is because I have the most exposure with the windshield. You know, most of the time I'm not taking a Lyft or an Uber on a freeway or a highway. It's more so going to be through a city. So if I, you know, if something went wrong and they're not taking me to my final destination, I, I'm going to crash the car, you know, and I have access to the wheel. Now, some people may not feel comfortable doing that. They might be taking longer Lyfts or Ubers. So maybe they want to sit in the back where they, you know, maybe right behind the, the, the driver where it's not as likely they'd be able to actually hold a weapon to you and you still have access to them. Con of that spot is you, if you're getting out of the car, you might be getting out into oncoming traffic. So maybe you want to sit diagonal from, from the driver. In that situation, you have the most space between that person. You, you know, you're not getting out into oncoming traffic. And again, you just have to think about like, what's my worst case scenario? How am I going to respond? What do I feel comfortable with? So you know, there's, again, safety isn't one size fits all. It's just really addressing the situation and finding what's best for you. Um, if we, I, I know that this is like such a physical, like this is like, we need like hours with you and mm-hmm. we need to be in person probably. But what is like, if you, this is similar to the water bottle thing mm-hmm. where it's like, where do we hit someone that we like actually could probably do? Like what's the easiest place for us to like do some harm that we can feel the most comfortable? Mm-hmm. Like where it's not like a super technical, like one of the things that they, I remember in my class was to like poke someone in the eyes. Mm-hmm. The thought of doing that, even if I'm under like major, like, I, I don't know. It, that's, it's like a small space. That sounds hard. That sounds super gross. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that that tactic is like I'd I'd way rather kick somebody than like try to jab their eye. It just that feels so much easier. So yeah. is there something like that? Yeah. So we talk about eight different areas to strike somebody, and this is kind of one of those things that again, like there's so many things out there about like stepping on people's toes, their shins, the instep, the backs of their knees, and really, if you think about it, like this instant is happening for instance, is happening so fast, right? It's not some like, we're going to have this like 10 minute period where we're like fighting back and forth. So when that person grabs you, number one, they've already sized you up. They already think they can physically overpower you. The odds they're grabbing you as hard as they can are probably slim. So we want to optimize that window, right? Which means that when you start stepping on their toes or yelling for help, immediately they're going to grab harder. So again, those eight areas, we are like, okay, what are the most effective areas that hopefully create enough shock, pain, discomfort to get them to let go so you can run to safety? So, you know, one of the biggest ones would definitely be the groin area. Now, the obviously we kind of all know that area, but one of the things I want to add on there is if you're in a situation where they come up behind you, maybe in a bear hug, you may not be able to strike it super easy. But one thing we encourage women to do instead of striking the groin area, would, and this is a little graphic, but like you want to grab, squeeze, and twist that area. And it's uncomfortable. You know, you don't have to have a lot of space. You just create enough space to get your hand back there if they grab you from behind. So, you know, that's one strike. Going for even the solar plexus, you know, an elbow to the solar plexus could knock the wind out of somebody. Or the, no, you can actually- Okay, where, 
Where are your solar plexus? Good question. So it's like right <laughs> under your chest, like right where this microphone is. So it's like right here. So if okay. you like, okay. you hit somebody, like I've been kicked there before and I've had to go like sit on the ground because I'm like, I literally cannot breathe. So very, very okay. uncomfortable. Okay. Now, I know you mentioned kicking. I really, if you can do something without kicking, I always encourage it just because you're not losing balance. If you lose balance or they grab your foot, you know, you don't want to be on the ground with them. You don't want to go with them. You want it to be quick and efficient. If that's okay. your only option, by all means, like somebody has you up against a wall by the neck or something, like by all means, kick kick the groin, right? Um, you know, another area, like I said, was the nose. If you strike the nose hard enough, you can actually kill somebody. The odds of it are probably slim, but you could. Now, okay. when you strike this area, it's hard. So you want to use a palm heel. So you're pulling your hand back and using the palm of your hand, striking up at the nose like this. Um, the eyes are an area, temple, jaw area, you know, with that water bottle. I always say, don't bring your body parts to the side of someone's head if they're standing up straight because you're probably losing power doing that strike and they might see it coming because again, they could very well be, most likely are going to be taller than you. Um, we have the ears, you know, grabbing onto the top of an ear and yanking down as hard as you can to rip it. Fingers, just like carrots, if you're going to break them, pinky, you're pulling out this way. These three fingers, you're going to pull backwards towards a wrist. So if somebody has you in a grip, you know, using that, you can also bite through a finger like a carrot. So if you needed to, yeah, there's there's so many different places. But, you know, when you are in that, that moment, your mind is going to freak out. Like you are in fight or flight. And I always tell people, like, take deep breaths and literally tell yourself what's happening. Okay, somebody's grabbing me. Somebody's grabbing me until you're like, okay, yeah, that's happening, right? Now, what do I do? Where do I need to strike? Yeah, yeah. I'm acting like so squeamish about this, but it's it's just... It, like it's less about like oh I like poking an eye is gross like I don't I don't mean it like that I just mean like that just seems kind of like the pepper spray where it seems mm -hmm. hard to operate in the moment and so actually the like grab squeeze and twist mm -hmm. like that makes it like that makes sense to me that seems I I don't know something about that seems more doable than trying to like aim well enough to like hit someone's eyes or you know with my mm -hmm. finger or you know something like that so okay all of that is super super helpful. Is there anything else that we've missed? Like that you're like, I if I could tell every woman in the world one thing, it would be this. Do you have anything that like comes to mind? I I have one thing I want to point out that isn't an answer to that question. And then I'll answer that question because there, yes, Perfect. yes. Um, one thing I feel like I meant to touch on when we were talking about kind of weapons and stuff. If somebody ever comes up to, I know that like, you know, it's our first instinct to want to hold on to our belongings. But if somebody comes up to you, there actually was a story. Um, this woman, she'd come on our podcast last summer and she was explaining this story that happened to her where she was on her phone. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. Somebody came up to her and they, they ended up like really physically assaulting her because they were trying to get to her phone. And she was like, there's any tip I can give to women. It's number one, stay off your phone. Number two, just give it to them. And a lot of the times that's all they want, right? It's that crime of opportunity. They see somebody, they want something, just give it to them. Like, don't try to fight. If somebody's grabbing your purse, let them take it. You can get those things back. You don't want to go to that secondary location, you know? So I did want to point that out, just kind of going back about yeah. that. When it comes to like, just final notes on self-defense, and it's it's hard because I always say like, the things that sometimes are the most important are the things that, that just seem like the most like common sense where just having confidence, like if you can build self-esteem and confidence, 
it takes you so far, whether it's mental self-defense, just having the confidence to identify, like these people just aren't for me. I don't like those situations. I, I'm allowed to say no. Or having a confrontation with a friend, and it doesn't have to be somebody that's trying to groom you to traffic you. You know, it could just be a friend who's like taking advantage of you and your self-esteem's getting chipped away, you know? So how do I confront that situation? Just having the confidence to just do it. Or if you don't think it's going to change it, put boundaries there. And then when it comes to situational self-defense, if I'm in environments where I don't feel the most confident or safe, whether it's travel or running daily errands or, you know, anything else, like just walking down the street, you know, present yourself with confidence, walk with a purpose. If you don't know where you're going, you know, turn your back to something and look up where you're going and then proceed. You know, make eye contact with people. Don't be afraid to do that. Look at people. You can say hi to people too. It doesn't make you unsafe. And if there again are those situations where you're like, there is an active threat there, respond. Even if it's a potential threat, you know, run, hide, fight. Those are, that's your chain of events there. You know, take action. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't think you're overreacting. With the physical stuff, take action. Just because you haven't had training does not mean that you can't do something to somebody. It does not mean, you know, even just fighting back, they might be like, you know what? I don't even want to engage in that. That's too much work. I don't want to get caught. I'm going to let them go. May not happen all the time, but it could happen. So just do something. That confidence and self-esteem is like the end all be all when it comes to safety and self-defense. And it it's sometimes a lot more simple than we make it out to be all the time. Kaylee, thank you so, so much for, for the work that you're doing, for your expertise, for sharing it with us. I mean, I just, this is so important. We could talk for like a million years, but I really am so grateful. I'm so grateful for your work. Tell us, uh, so I know that you teach a lot in person. Mm-hmm. Where, how can we learn from you further? Like, do you have classes? Do you have like anything online that we can do? Walk us through next steps. Cause I feel like we really, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So first of all, I could literally go on for hours about this stuff. So I like, I love talking about it. So thank you very much for, for having me on. I, it's it just like, it gets me so fired up because the things that we all need, that we all think about and deal with on a daily basis most of the time. But um, as far as next steps, we would love to offer you and your community one of our online classes. You'll probably see some of the information we talked about here, but if you guys would like to do one, you know, you guys can pick a time and we would love to host one virtually. Um, you know, everybody can sign on separate, sign on with a partner so you can actually do the escapes. Um, as yeah. far as just kind of getting daily tips and stuff, we do have social media. We encourage you guys to look there. On Instagram, we actually have a close friend story that has a lot more just statistics, kind of behind the scenes things that I run into as I travel. So definitely encouraged, you know, kind of following along that. And just there's certain things that you would like us to give you tips on. We always encourage people to send a DM, reach out to us and we'll do a video for you. Okay. I love that. Thank you for offering that. We're going to link to that in the show notes. You guys, I just, I can't believe that we haven't talked about this on the show before. This is so overdue. Um, Kaylee sent me an email uh, like maybe a week ago and uh, was like, you know, would you be interested in partnering? And I'm like, a thousand percent. Yes. I think we like wrote back immediately. And so um, I just, gosh, I'm so sorry. This is so overdue guys. Like this is, we should have been talking about this a long time ago. Because um, you're right, we we think about it all the time. And as you guys have heard from me today, you can have taken a self-defense class and have still have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> That's um, I, I trained in this stuff for like my entire life and I still found myself in a situation where I was like, 
you know, mugged on a beach, passed out drunk in the middle of the night. So like, like we all I know encounter I, stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, we do. Um, all right, Kaylee, thank you so much. We'll link to everything, um, all of your stuff in our show notes. And you guys go, let's take her class. Let's all do it. Beautiful. Thanks, friends. Thank you very much. Friends, thank you so much for listening to the episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You'll never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take just a second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows it suggests the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take just a second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you to all of you who've left those beautiful five-star reviews already. I can't tell you how much it means to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. And I have to tell you, you are going to love this next one. I'll see you then.